Spencer, Spencer, Spencer. What? I found the rabbit's foot. I found <gasps> the rabbit's foot. Where? Davian was talking about the rabbit's foot, and Tom Cruise fa- rescued it, and I, f- I figured out what it is. It turns out it's a part of a keychain. Honesty hour, though, I think that might be the best Easter egg in the entire franchise so far. Yes. Because <laughs> it's really deliberate and really stupid. <laughs> All right. Welcome, everyone, to uh, Phantom Dunright Podcast, more specifically, Spencer and Tim Tackle. Today, we are talking about Mission Impossible 5, Rogue Nation, a.k.a. the, the first Mission Impossible where the entire IMF is disavowed and Tom Cruise goes rogue. <laughs> I'm Spencer. I am joined by Tim. So we, we started this series as, I mean, both of us are huge fans of the series. Uh, and we plan on watching Dead Reckoning. Uh, and so we just started this series to kind of catch us up uh, on the movies in the series leading up to uh, Dead Reckoning this summer. And uh, yeah, so we're on uh, movie five. With Fallout to go next, and uh, it's been a wild ride, all the way yeah. from uh, the first movie uh, leading up to this one, with some very, very weird different movies in in the series. Just in yes, style. there's there's a lot of different styles. Even between four and five, there's a bit of change in style. I feel like in tone, not a major, but um, I didn't. I felt like it just stepped up the dialogue and the writing of it was a lot better, and there are reasons for that. Um, I don't know about you, Tim. Cole likes to do rewatches a lot. Um, David does too, I guess, in a network-wide scenario. I don't usually do this, so this has been quite a lot of Mission Impossible in a concentrated span of time. Even though we've spent a few months doing this. Like, we've dispersed them out a little bit. Yeah, there's times when, like, I'm just searching for a movie to watch, and I'm like, yeah, this was a good movie, I'll watch this. But as far as, like, a series of movies, yeah, I don't don't do it very often. Yeah, I was telling my friend, um, my friend Matt, that he has not seen more than one of these. And I said, like, I was like, it is... It is rewarding if you have seen previous ones, but you can also just pick up any of these. And I think that's why I like them so much. Yeah. Like, and I think it's not Harry Potter think, or Star Wars where you have to pick a certain starting point. Yeah. I think we've kind of alluded to this um, during the rewatch, but uh, starting at like three, maybe three. Three, four, and five are like I think the centerpiece of the the franchise. Uh, if you just start with one and two, uh, it'll be a, a wild ride as we've done. Uh, but I think three is where the franchise starts 
like finding its footing. And I would say six is like both a bookend to what five is doing. It's like a bookend to everything before, but I have a feeling it's also, I haven't rewatched six in a long time. We're obviously going too Mm -hmm. soon. I feel like it's a big, it's going to be a, I'm going to wonder how much connects to it connects us to seven and eight. Yeah. Yeah. I've only seen fallout one time and, uh, yeah, it was like the time we, it was the time we saw it. (laughs) Yeah. I think, um, which shout out to Tim and my wife because they, I was working at summer camp that summer and I, we had to wait like three weeks after it released to watch it and they waited for me to get back into society because i wanted to see it with them anyway this is my favorite one i just want to say that out of the gate i love this one i've probably rewatched this the most this in four but coming straight from four to this i was like man this one's so good it's just and i think knowing last time which we did trivia for that one go back and listen to that if you haven't Christopher McQuarrie was like the secret writer on four that actually saved the movie. Like it was a lot of, it was kind of a writing mess, I feel like. And so this one, we had Christopher McQuarrie the whole time. He was like, he had his hands on the wheel a lot. And I see a lot of the benefits of that in the hindsight. Because I feel like the characters just feel a little bit more real. Uh, Brant's character feels a lot more natural for one. Like, this is a lot more what makes sense for him. And all of the dialogue's great. Tom Cruise's dialogues, he's not, he doesn't say much in the first two hours of the movie, um, but he's great for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think three is my favorite, but that's just because that's the first one I watched. Uh, yeah, this one is just, the characters are definitely defined. Um, they just, it's like, they know who their, their characters are supposed to be. Um, the, the action and stunts are top notch. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, it's interesting because the last movie, uh, Ghost Protocol, the states were a nuclear bomb uh, and someone trying to start nuclear, uh, warfare against the whole world. And yet I feel like this one raised the stakes. Uh, by making it personal and with the whole IMF being shut down, uh, which is, I think, something very hard to do uh, in a franchise to continue raising the stakes. Uh, I mean, you got you got franchises like uh, Fast and Furious, where they're still fun movies, but every time I go in, I watch the movie, and I'm like, well, that was kind of fun, but then like a couple weeks later, I forget the whole movie. Uh, and they just have to keep raising the stakes to crazy levels. Um, and, and so it's hard for a franchise to continue raising the stakes like that. And I think I think this movie did it really well by, by raising it in a completely different way uh, and making it personal to the characters and relatable in, in a way. And then Fallout, we go back to Nuclear Bomb. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which... The movie's called Fallout. If you don't do a nuclear bomb, what are you doing? Which, shout out to, this is a good side story from years ago. I will will not say which member of the network, because I don't want to 
say any of us are uh, have any have ever done crimes, but one of the one of our beloved members of the Gazebo Effect Network was we could not find a copy of Treasure Planet <coughs> in college, and we finally <coughs> gave up. And this person decided that they were just going to pirate it. And someone, maybe Tim, other people started groaning about pirating. And this member goes, the movie's called Treasure Planet. If they didn't want it to be pirated, they should have called it somewhat something else. And I like that. <laughs> so I have a question, Tim, because I said this to my friend. I think it's true. At least, at the very least, this is the series that I would say has ever come closest to this being true. The best Mission Impossible is the next one. Uh, yeah, well, hmm. yeah, I would kind of agree. I mean, it's like... I don't know if it's 100% true, but I can't think of any other series that have gotten close enough to that. Yeah. It's, I think it's especially true during this rewatch, because, I mean, when we when we watch a movie, like we, we point out things we like about it and stuff. And then when you watch the Nets one and the things we like about it are very similar, like stunts. But that's one of the things the franchise does is keeps raising the stakes and the stunts and stuff. And so in that way, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it's like when we talk about it, like we don't want to be just redundant in the things we talk about it. Um, and that's that's I think that's where it comes in with the, the trivia and stuff. But then the trivia is kind of redundant, too, because it's like, oh, this one was shadow edited by tom cruise this one was shadow written by christopher mccory yes uh yeah uh yeah but i think i think you're right um like each movie has its has its moments and stuff but yeah i mean when i watched three i was like this one's the best one then we watched four again i was like man this one's top notch and then five this one's the best and then six again it's both it's been a while from both of us, but I mean, that one's pretty good too. Uh, and I think that's fine for a franchise like this to just keep making the better movies. Yeah. I think bring it back to rogue nation. One is certainly better than two, but two has better stunts than one. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. So most of the mission impossible movies, either this, it's that's <laughs> the stunts are great. Or the writing's great. But usually not both. So one, the writing's really great, but the stunts is still great, but not as good as the second one. Second one, the writing's awful, but the stunts are great. The third one, the writing's great, but the stunts are not necessarily as good as two or four. And then four, the most of the writing's okay, the villain's awful, but the stunts are <laughs> top of the line, right? And so then we come into Rogue Nation... And it hits that sweet spot where the writing has gotten back to the at least somewhere close to the quality of three. The villain is close to the quality of three, but the stunts are the quality of four. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's this one's the best of all worlds. Yes, uh, Hannah Montana, the best of both worlds, registered trademark. And then <laughs> six, six, I would say, has um, some benefits of all the worlds, but... I do like the characters in this one more. Mainly, I'm mad that Jeremy Renner is not in six, even though it's because he was in Avengers Endgame. So how much can I really be angry at that? <laughs> I can still be angry at that. <laughs> I can. Comic book roll call 
it's just Jeremy Renner and Simon Pegg again from Simon Pegg from the boys and Jeremy Renner is Hawkeye. I don't know. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson's in Dune, which is not a comic book. <laughs> One moment. I feel like she was in something else. Ving Rhames might be in something. She's in everything. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I really... Alec Baldwin was in other awesome things, but not a comic book thing. This just seems like one of those franchises to have more, but I guess not. All right. Uh, so we've created a short synopsis of this film if you haven't seen it or you need a refresher. Uh, so IMF is forced to shut down and be folded in the CIA. Uh, they've they listed some reasons for this. Shoot, I'm blanking on his name now. The CIA director guy. Baldwin. Uh, so he listed a reason that when he was in the CIA... Uh, uh, director Hunley. First... Yeah, yeah, Hunley. He listed a reason that in the first movie, um, the IMF stole the, uh, the ledger, I think. Um, and then they referenced another moment in uh, movie four when the nuclear bomb... Uh, deactivated hit a building um and he listed that as reasons they should be shut down because they did their job but they overstepped their bounds and they have no oversight uh and to a degree like in a different movie that would have been good reasons uh but since imf is the main group in this movie it's it's like no that's the wrong way of looking at it uh so ethan hunt has to go shut down the syndicate uh, the syndicate is an anti-IMF, uh, and the CIA doesn't believe they're real because basically the only reason they have to believe they're real is Ethan Hunt. Uh, the CIA tries to show to Brandt and the other IMF that Ethan Hunt is a terrorist who made up syndicate, um, and while Brandt and the other IMF try to save Hunt. Uh, and so Ethan Hunt has to take down an ultra secretive spy force while trying to figure out who he can trust. Which is weird. They, they kind of take a hard right turn because the end of four is Hunt being informed about the syndicate. But then on this side of it, it's like he's been tracking down the syndicate for a while, but no one believes it's real. So I think the IMF still believes it's real. But since there is no IMF, it's one of those things that Hunley's like, this is a wild goose chase. Obviously, this is not real. We're going to bring Ethan in because he's clearly creating this syndicate for his own mayhem. Which I find my favorite part of one of my favorite parts of this movie is director Hunley because Alec Baldwin is just charismatic. He just like eats up a room and he both hates Hunt but then he highly respects him too, as we see later in the film. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, he's like this idiot creating mayhem and then saving the world too. But it's like, and then later he says all these great things about Hunt. So I'm like, which is it? Alec Baldwin. And Isabel's not usually watching most of the movie, but when he walks into the scene, she's like, oh my gosh, I forgot he was in this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, usually people do, but he's... He's a great antagonist. He's like, he's a he's like a likable uh, Kipling. <laughs> you love to hate Kipling, and I'm gonna be so mad when I see him in the next one. But 
Alec Baldwin's very fun, even though he's sort of an antagonist in this one. Yeah, uh, but it's, I mean, we we do our, uh, we talk about, like, the IMF director in each movie, and it's like a tie between him and Brant, because since he takes over, they're both kind of the director. Uh, but it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic, uh, because both of them are kind of right, uh, but at the same time, uh, it's really fun to see Brant's interaction with Ethan, um, uh, like evolve from the last movie to this one. Uh, like Brant is more of the authority guy doing things by the book, whereas Ethan is the guy who takes things into his own hands to make sure it's done, uh, and the terrorists don't win. Uh, I, I really like the character interactions from all the characters. Yeah, and the other f- factor that comes back into this one is Ving Rhames coming back as Luther Stickle, the most unlikely spy in the world, which is why he was <laughs> cast in the first one. Um, I gotta say it, and I'm, it makes me sad to say it, because he's... I don't know. He's had facial hair for about half of exactly half of these, but I like facial hair Ving Rhames <laughs> more than no facial hair Ving Rhames. And I don't think he has. It's like been something I'm noticing for each one. Like he has facial hair in the first three, and then he doesn't in four. He doesn't five, and he doesn't in six. All out, Luther. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have facial hair in the sixth one. And he just, he kind of is one of those guys. He just looks completely different <laughs> to me without facial hair. It weirds me out. Like he has a mustache and a goatee in five, but then in some of the other ones, he has just a mustache. But yeah. I like how in four, like we only see Vane Rames at the very end and he meets uh, Brant for the very first time. And then in this one, their relationship is basically starting off from that point. Like, uh, from Brant's perspective, um, Vane Rames is Ethan's friend. And from Vane Rames' perspective, uh, he, he doesn't know Brant at all. And so they have that, that mistrust. But the only thing that, that bonds them is saving Hunt. It's great. <laughs> it's so good. So just jumping into the story and really it's just notes that I made and quotes. I think this is the best intro. Easy. I really like the last one though in the prison. But the airplane, Benji and a, I don't remember what, gu- not guillotine. Whatever those suits are called. Just Simon yeah, Pegg in, yeah. uh, Gilly, in the grass with an iPad. Gilly suit with an iPad that's entirely in Russian. And then <laughs> Brant. Brant is having to play director, even though he clearly doesn't really want to be the secretary. He kind of has, he's kind of filling that role. And no one knows where Ethan is. And they're like, try to do this, try to do this. <laughs> Luther's like, it involves hacking a Russian satellite. (laughs) 
I can't authorize that, which is why I didn't ask for permission. We are un <laughs> under investigation for misconduct. Look, the package is on the plane. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Luther, you're supposed to be in station in this. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and it's just this scrap, like, it's just good old scrappy work making things happen and then tom cruise hangs out the side of an airplane and it's <laughs> it's that comforting bit that this is 2015 they could have done that without strapping tom cruise to the side of an airplane and i'd probably just as much i wouldn't be able to tell the difference probably because i'm not a filmmaker but you just know because it's mission impossible and because it's tom cruise he's actually on the side of that plane those feet dangling those are his feet <laughs> There's a strap they took out in post, but that one strap is it. <laughs> and I think this I think might the be the first part about that is that that clip they used that in like every trailer. They used that for the main poster, and it was just the opening scene. <laughs> and I wonder is that going to be the case for this ridiculous Norwegian <laughs> <laughs> motorcycle jump that took like millions of dollars? <laughs> I don't know. But I think somehow the way of all of the behind the scenes I've watched, I think this is actually the one that scared Tom Cruise the most. He sounded pretty nervous about this airplane one. He's like, I, yeah. he's like, it kind of got crazy the day before. It's like, oh, oh, boop, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> like the climbing the world's tallest building didn't scare him. Holding his breath for six minutes didn't scare him, which was unnecessary, but he did it anyway, as we'll talk about. <laughs> but it's it's great. It's fantastic. Um, there's some writing, I think, that's a little cheesy, like, but I still love it, where he's getting the mission briefing in the record store, and it's the same voice as before, but it's the syndicate, and it's like um, just flipping the script on him, where it's like, if you get caught, you will be killed. Blah, 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 blah. And your precious secretary will disavow any of your actions. Like, it's a little too emotional for a computer voice. But it still it still builds the, builds the tension and the hype really well, I think. I love it when it's just like, because we're the syndicate. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> we are the syndicate. I did notice, though, I didn't. Maybe I didn't notice this in the first watch, but Solomon Lane is in a listening studio when Tom Cruise walks into the record store. <laughs> Solomon Lane is recording it really quick. He's like, shoot, Ethan Hunt's here. No, he's just, oh he's God, literally hurry. just sitting there chilling. <laughs> he's literally just, well, he's not recording, but he's just listening to a record in like a, one of the, one of the pods or whatever when Tom Cruise goes in there. But yeah, they use that one character, that one girl getting killed as like his personal motivation. Yeah. I mean, Solomon Lane pissed off the wrong guy, but. <laughs> also, that record they were talking about Still is a real out. album. Uh, it, it's a real album, but I was, I tried to look it up, but I was getting it mixed up um, just because they didn't say like a. A song title or anything so it's a little hard to look up um but he was either from 1957 or 61 mm. so something that makes one scene that really makes me laugh every time 
is you have like Hunley telling Branch he's gonna he's gonna get Ethan, and they think they're gonna get Ethan, and they don't because he's way farther ahead of them. And we see a really bad Tom Cruise beard that's definitely not real. But then it I can't remember what that score that song is, but like goes immediately to Benji, and it's just super super loud opera music, and he's playing Halo at his desk for the CIA. <laughs> And then three monitors. <laughs> and the second someone shows up, he immediately turns it off and starts pretending he's working. And I, I love his setup. With Simon the, Pegg really the mirror, is, but I think he's great in all of them. But this might be one. This might be his best one because all of his lines are great. All of the scenes are great. I mean, Tom Cruise said it in a behind the scenes thing. He's like, Simon Pegg, just like everything he says, like just makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> like he can always make me laugh. And that's what he's like. Like he goes to the opera. Well, he gets the polygraph test and he's all funny in that as well. He's like, what's your name? The King of Norway. See, that was a lie. <laughs> I'm second in line for the throne. <laughs> and then like when he's going to the opera, I noticed too, like, hey, Simon Pegg, Remember I complained about his hair in the last one. He looks great in this one. <laughs> like he looks a little, I'm, I'm going to say it. It's not meant to be mean. He looks a little his age now. I've seen him in the trailers for Dead Reckoning. He's looking a little old. This was like peaked Simon Pegg. Like hair, facial hair, everything. So when he's going to the opera, he's like talking to Ethan and he's just rambling on and on and on and on and on. Which I remember in the previous one, He's always like, shut up. Everyone's going to hear you. But he's now like, he's now like peak field agent. Like it's been a couple of years. And so now he's like saying everything under his breath, but still keeping a low profile. <laughs> and I don't, I, yeah. I tried to find the quote, but I could not. Where he's like, I'm going to go back on Monday morning and I'm going to go back and work for the CIA. And I, I, none will be the wiser. <laughs> That's a great point though, that in the last one, he was, he was like a rookie field agent. And in this one, he was like, like Ethan Hunt was about to send him home and he's like, no, Ethan, like I know the risks. I'm here. I'm here to help a friend. And he, he might be the most competent agent. Oh, third most competent agent. Cause Ilsa Faust is like the female Ethan Hunt. So he's like the third, he's like the third best agent. Maybe Brant Brant was awesome in the last one. He doesn't do as much in this one. He's just around for, like leadership and moral guidance. Um, but he's not like in the last one, he's like beating up every single person uh, that Tom, Tom Cruise doesn't get. And this one is just yeah. Tom Cruise and, and Ilsa Faust everywhere. I wrote down <laughs> Benji's quote, join the IMF, see the world on a monitor in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you have to say? I think the opera se sequence might be one of my favorite sequences in all of Mission Impossible. It's yeah, I mean, beautiful. It I, is really, really good. I I listed it under the set, stunt section, but really, it's just a sequence that's just oh, it's so good. Uh, and it's like the the cra the more you think about it, the crazier it is because there were so many parties like. Ethan Hunt was fighting someone who had his gun aimed at the prime minister, but there was another guy who had his gun aimed at Elsa Faust, who had her gun aimed at the prime minister. And then Ethan shot the prime minister, 
It's the Chancellor Tim. They were in Austria. Oh, sorry. Jeez. <laughs> and then, and then it was all for naught because the Chancellor died because of a car bomb. And and it was like the entire fight scene. Uh, uh, Benji trying to find the bad guy with the cameras. It, it was all just such a great scene. So. I thought it was really funny that they found the tallest actor they could find to fight Tom Cruise. <laughs> like they finally got us to a point where we're just willing to talk about how he's not the tallest guy. Not that he's not his actual height. We're not there yet, but he's not the <laughs> tallest guy. So I think tall guy was supposed to kill Ilsa. Yeah. Actually. Uh, hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. And then the guy in the sound booth was the backup for the prime minister. Yeah. Or the chancellor. But yeah, I think the way that was kind of there, what the syndicate was thinking was they wanted to make a more bold statement. And so they were going to kill the chancellor one way or another. But if they killed him outright in that kind of place with all that security, it would be a more bold statement. But the car bomb was just to make sure he was going to die no matter what happened. And I think that's really clever how they've written the syndicate to be very uh, surgical and Solomon Lane to be really smart and cunning in that he's not going to miss a beat. And so they really had to, Ethan really had to pull all the stops to stop him and trick him. Yeah. I know that, uh, this movie came out like a, around the same time or maybe the same year as Spectre. And Spectre's it was the same year as Spectre. Yeah. And Spectre's kind of the same thing as the Syndicate. But the Syndicate is just so much better. I mean, like both of them are kind of surgical, but Syndicate's just so much more memorable where they just do everything in secret and they just take agents from other countries in secret and stuff. Uh, and Solomon Lane is such a good bad guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- there's such a... It's like, it's a it's a different kind of intimidating force where it's, it's chilling. Like, they're not just intimidating, but their whole presence is chilling, where any accident could be their fault. Yes, 100%. I really like... The Morocco sequence, Casablanca. I mean, it, it is, that is the part of the movie where I'm just like, this is nonstop. Like there is not too many stops for dialogue. And they pretty much go straight from this crazy impossible mission with just Benji, Ilsa, Benji, Ethan breaking into the most difficult computer in the world, pretty much. And... Ethan dies, they bring him back, and then they immediately go into the best car chase of the series so far. I don't remember about six. And then they go straight from that into what I would say is the best motorcycle chase, but six comes the closest to that. Well, (laughs) So it's just uh, like bang, 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 bang. And it's crazy. er Earlier in the courtroom, they referenced... uh, Ethan stealing, I think it was a ledger, but that was a long time ago that we watched that. 
a, a ledger from the CIA agency. And uh, then the the motorcycle scene reminded me of the motorcycle scene in, in the second movie. And so it seems like this movie is kind of like referencing or taking scenes from other movies. And I don't want to just straight up saying making it better, but... Um, I mean, with a lot of time, the scenes are going to be better. And uh, so, I, yeah, I really like that part of it. Uh, I think Ilsa could have just stopped her bike and Ethan would have drove past without seeing it rather than just standing in the middle of the road. I don't know how they did that. <laughs> There's no way she could stop that fast. They were going 100, like 100 plus miles an hour <laughs> most yeah. of the way. Um. Yeah, this movie does reference the series the most. I think the only one it doesn't mention is the third one. And even then, it well, it does because of the rabbit's foot. Because it yeah. references <laughs> Hunley. So Hunley's character directly references the first one. Because he was like, I was just an agent in the CIA when they yeah. broke in and took the ledger. Then in this, and then they, I don't know if they mentioned the second one much, but they, the rabbit's foot is mentioned. And then they mentioned the fourth one, like three separate times. Like that is why the IMF is getting dissolved really into the CIA. I think there was one other movie. And then the syndicate obviously is moving forward from uh, the fourth one. Like that's what he was working on. I think uh, the third or fourth movie referenced uh, number one, them stealing from CIA. But I, I don't remember the exact scene. It's the third one. Luther's like, okay. this is a walk in the... This makes CIA look like a... This makes Langley look like a walk in the park. That's right. That's right. Yep. But that was pretty much all the notes that I had. I like the symmetry of how they got um, Solomon Lane into a glass box. Just like he put Tom Cruise in a box. It was very good. No glass is that clear, but it's still... <laughs> still oh, nice. man, I love that. That scene is so good with, with the... Uh, like him pointing the gun at Ethan and just continuously shooting the same spot while his face gets clouded over. Ah, oh, so good. So I already gave my rating in the group chat, which no one's, no one in this network is as much on the hype train about Mission Impossibles as you and me. But this is a straight nine point eight out of ten, and I don't know why it's not nine. I don't know why it's not ten out of ten. I just don't know if the ten out of ten movie exists. Uh, okay, so when I when I think about the Mission Impossible movies, I absolutely love them. But there are times when like I get some scenes mixed up with other movies or like I I forget about scenes. And I think part of that might be because they like write a movie around stunts. Uh a lot of times and so the actual like the, the actual plot is sometimes shallow or it's just not the main part of the movie. So like, like the climbing, last movie, climbing the building. Yeah. <laughs> four yes, is the best example much. of that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like from four, all I remember, 
at least mainly the main thing I remember is him climbing the building. Um, in this one, the main thing I remember is the water scene. Um, and so that's not really a fault with the, well, I, I don't know. That might be just a fault with the franchise itself rather than each movie. But yeah, I just, I think I remember the stunts primarily more than the, the movie plot and stuff like that, which is kind of okay. But, um, I think I'm going to take that into consideration with the rating. That's fair. Which is? Probably an 8.5. Maybe like 8.8. You know, that's that's a fair point. And I think I should be more realistic and probably <laughs> bring it down to a 9. But it this is like outside of Mission Impossible. Like this is prob this is in my like top favorite 10 favorite movies. Mind you, Tron Legacy is also on there, and it has no business. <laughs> it has no business being there, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. So this is definitely oh, one, my favorite so far. One thing I, I really like about this movie is that I, I think you're like you're constantly not sure whose side Ilsa is actually on. Uh, yes. And it, it works so well because from I think from Ethan's perspective, I don't really think he knows, but I think he's just trying to save her from the syndicate, regardless of what side she's actually on. Uh, but from the audience perspective, you're, there's several times when you're like, I think she's the syndicate now. And then she does something to save Ethan. And you're like, but is that just to... Get in good graces of the syndicate. I I don't know, but uh, at the same time, like she's she's such an interesting character because of that. And then at the same time, you're not really sure whose side Brant is on in some parts of it. Like That's they true. they flip the script on you to make us, and they go really far to make us think that he's turning on Ethan, but he's not. It's all still part of the plot <laughs> and yeah that is this movie is great because it only does two mask ripoffs <laughs> and one is in a sequence one is like in an imagination like plot they're just trying to think about how they break in and they decide not to do it so it's not real and then the other one but benji don't almost a wears a mask boom, right before <laughs> yeah benji almost wears a mask in an idealistic scenario <laughs> Not even real life. He wears a mask. He does get to wear a mask in the next one. He gets his chance. Yeah. It just took literally three movies to get him there. <laughs> so that's just the, the double, both of those sides of it. And then Hatley is just, he's not much of a character, but it's interesting that there's, an, there's basically three antagonists in it. And that this is a lot of the behind the scenes is him trying to cover his own tracks for creating accidentally slash intentionally creating the syndicate yeah and i and i do love the end scene where hunley is trying to get the imf reinstated and so hunley it's 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 kind of a benefit to him but i think he's also being punished by be by them making him the secretary of the imf 
Well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I had thought of that. Because they're very frustrated with him for doing that rogue move by getting as yeah. CIA, using a CIA director status to get the IMF dis- dissolved. So I feel yeah, like they're kind CIA of punishing him. CIA is probably higher than IMF. At the very least, it's bigger. Yeah. Because the IMF is super small. Um, at least not small, but it's very hidden, very secretive. Like, very few people know the ultimate. Like, the president knows, but very few people actually know what the IMF is doing. So, I I really... But I did like that he's walking out. It's like, congratulations, Secretary Hunley. And I'm like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> And and he quotes he'll make he it one movie. Same quote as uh, Ethan Hunt when he's like, "Well, desperate times." <laughs> it's very good, and it, it brings the whole movie full circle. So I think I think this is the best. This is the most well written one. But also, I would say that I was getting so hyped about Dead Reckoning watching this movie. Like, I think Dead Reckoning's gonna be could very possibly be the best one. At the very least, it's the most. I've been hyped for a movie in a long time, and it's definitely the most hyped movie of 2023 for me. Ooh, that's an, there's a lot of movies in 2023. But I still have no idea what's going on in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, it's crazy. But I'm still uh, making that claim. cast. Easy. Uh, as far as plot, we know nothing. As far as stunts, we know one. So, yeah, I mean, I still, yeah, it's probably high up there on my anticipated list. Do you think the syndicate will be in there? Well, maybe not. Maybe. Maybe it'll be like a Hydra situation where the syndicate can't, they just keep getting, they keep coming back. Because he, he cut off the head, like he got Solomon Lane, but the next, the next baddies are like called the Apostles. And John Locke yeah. is one of the apostles. And so um, the apostles are like some of the some of them are members of the previous syndicate. And so them getting John Locke and Solomon Lane. I don't know, maybe it makes it so the syndicate still comes back or Kipling brings the syndicate back or he's being the secretary and the syndicate at the same time. And we still, I have no clue what Haley Atwell's character is. And Ilsa Faust has an eye patch. And I'm like, did she lose an eye? And then some shots, she doesn't have an <laughs> eye patch. Um, he's on, he's in, and like Tom Cruise is in the desert. And then I'm like, just like, I have no idea what's going on. I wonder if like, maybe it's all flipped. Like the desert is like the opening sequence. And Ilsa Faust is an IMF agent with him on a mission. I don't know. I'm so lost. <laughs> And I just want Jeremy Renner to come back. And I don't think he is. I don't think he's ever coming back. Definitely not. Well, these were filmed three years ago. So I know Jeremy Renner wouldn't come back now at all. But I think, I don't know. He could have, I don't know what he was doing. I mean, Hawkeye, but that doesn't take that much time. Right. Yeah. No idea. I guess he's, well, I, uh, it would be weird if he's in nine, but then, because in this one, he was like, at the beginning, he was the director, but then 
in the next one, Baldwin becomes the director, right? Or is he just the secretary? Or is that the same thing? They change the title every time. So the sec- Mr. Secretary is the director of the IMF. And right, I think... Okay. Yes. So I think Anthony Hopkins is mission commander Swanbeck, but I feel like he's also <laughs> the secretary. Yeah. And so I think some people are classy enough to go by Mr. Secretary, but then like Lawrence Fishburne doesn't because he's more... He's trying to make a more formal CIA style IMF. It's just it's just whoever's writing the movie and whatever they feel like going with, I think. But uh, I think they're going to keep it Mr. Secretary from this one moving forward. So Brent isn't the secretary. He's a head analyst of the secretary, but he's also has field agent experience. And so you, that you'll see him dump it, jumping into the field because he's all the experiences he's had in the fourth one. But it is kind of a twist, right? Because he was going to be a field agent after the fourth one. That's what they made everyone believe because they thought the rest of the series was going to be Jeremy Renner. And then Tom Cruise came back and Christopher McQuarrie's like, well, he can do this. This and this and it works. It really works. And I'd rather him just. Also, I forgot to mention my favorite line of the movie, maybe, is uh, we're in a high speed car chase. You just had to get the four by four. You just had to have it. (laughs) (laughs) That is really, really good and really funny. But I don't know how to rate these things. But I definitely would rate a lot of these stunts very highly. I watched them behind the scenes and Tom Cruise just for safety, him and Rebecca Ferguson, they both rode the motorbikes for one. I want to bring that up. They, at least Tom Cruise, I saw a shot where he held his breath for six minutes underwater. Wait, did you say Rebecca Ferguson rode the motorcycle? Yes. That's very surprising because she had her helmet on, which, I mean, for safety, but that easily could have been a stunt double with the helmet on. And she didn't have, well, and she didn't, yeah, and she didn't have the shaded helmet like the bad guys. Oh, yeah. Huh. So at least she did some of it. It's kind of like a Henry Cavill situation where I'm like, maybe he didn't do the whole, like, I don't think he did a lot of the stunts in the next one, but I think she's a little more daring. They had to find somebody that was crazy as Tom. Hey, and Henry's, so she was Henry talking. Cavill's a nerd. Like he doesn't do those stunts and stuff. He's just, <laughs> he just builds uh Warcraft stuff and <laughs> builds computers. Well, he, he did the sword stuff in the Witcher. Okay. I mean, most yeah. of that shows him walking around green screens and naked people, but he did sword stuff as well. <laughs> Got him. I know. I haven't watched that much of the show because I didn't like it. But anyway, yeah, she did do the mo- she did talk about the motorcycles. They um, had to turn off a bunch of safety stuff on the motorcycles so they could push them to the limits they wanted to. They destroyed <laughs> a bunch of motorcycles and put them back together and destroyed them again. That's not the only movie and of where they destroy motorcycles because he wants to die. <laughs> but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah. But the underwater is like mostly green screen, but Tom Cruise still held his breath for the whole time for like 
just the notoriety's sake of it, it feels like to me. But he's just like, I wanted to show them. He's like, because most times people do maybe 30 seconds, a minute, and they go up for breath. But like, you can do it safely. And I wanted to show them that they could do that. And I'm like, Tom, we didn't need that. Like, you didn't need to do that to yourself. It's okay. That whole thing wasn't actually to, water at all. He just held his breath. Like crazy military diving instructor guy to come in and train them. It was it was water. It was real water, but like it was under it was like he didn't need to hold his breath that long. But good on him. It's still a great sequence. Uh hair. I like his hair most of this movie, but it's not as good as his Ghost Protocol hair, in my opinion. It's definitely not as good as uh, the second movie here. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> uh, there's no IMF director, but I would say Hunley's one of my favorites in terms of the leadership. Him and Brandt are good. They, they make up for the, care, the lack of IMF secretary. And I think they're probably my favorite one just because they're actually in the movie and they don't die in this one. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Knock on wood. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> but I think that brings us to, to trivia. Yeah. Uh, rogue trivia. This, this was some, uh, I was going to say some impossible trivia, but rogue, rogue trivia continues. I think that's what we named it last time. So, uh, Yeah. Uh, so the plane scene, that scene was done with very, very little visual effects, uh, and no stunt double at times she was suspended on the airplane, 5,000 feet in the air. Uh, yeah, I'm scared of being in a plane, uh, much less outside of a plane. Uh, Tom Cruise stated he was, uh, it was his intentional intention to do it. As a way to outdo uh, climbing the Burj Khalifa, which that's fine to push yourself, but uh, he's he's going to die someday pushing himself <laughs> to do more and more stunts. Maybe uh, not. <laughs> his idea raised objections by the crew due to safety, and being a certified pilot himself, he wanted to get the feel of being out on the wing <laughs> or on the side of an airplane. <laughs> Tom Cruise. I don't think pilots want the feeling of being on the wing. Well, the thing is, he's, he's done more than this now. Like, he was on that freaking biplane when yeah. he was like, <laughs> check, out, check out the movie, Stop Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> so he's kind of outdone this already. Like, he's doing crazier and crazier crap. <laughs> yeah. Keeping a PG. Uh, but a major, goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> A major obstacle to filming would be bird strikes and wind resistance on the runway. Uh, to capture the action, a wind-resistant custom frame for the camera was built and mounted on the left wing of the plane. Uh, the other major problem would be keeping his eyes open in the presence of fast wind and uh, runaway particles. So, so his eye specialist designed a special lens that can cover the entire eyeball. Uh Eight takes of the stunt were filmed, and Christopher McCory was very concerned that the actor might panic suddenly, but was assured by Tom Cruise to not stop filming until the stunt had been finished. 
I think it might be more entertaining than the movies themselves to watch these behind the scenes listeners because I've watched the seat behind the scenes and Tim has as well, especially for the new ones. And it's just I just feel the anxiety on Christopher Corey's face every second of every shot. And Tom Cruise is just a madman, like not full madman. Every movie, Christopher McCoy's like, Tom Cruise, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this stunt. And Tom Cruise is like, no. Hey, man, now's my time, okay? This is going to be it. <laughs> he's just, and he's he's so, he's just so much, like, cavalierness that I think he can just talk his way into anything. But not just anybody can do this. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, so on one of these takes... Uh, Tom Cruise was struck in the body by a small pebble uh, while filming one of the tapes from Hanging on the Plane, and Cruise claimed that the impact hurt so badly he was certain he had been badly injured and was afraid to look. Once the tape was over, fortunately the pebble uh, merely embedded in his clothing and he was amazed by how small it was. Uh, So the stretcher Ethan Hunt grabs hold of when the aircraft tapes jumps on uh, uh, is called a deployable baffle it is intended to give paratroops an instant to get clear of the massive aircraft when jumping before they're caught in the jet stream however it does not have holes like the one seen in the movie so in reality there would be nothing to hold on to makes sense magic of the movies uh the plane stunt was barely used with uh used used with barely any cgi and minimal safety measures they shot eight tapes, elevating the aircraft to an altitude of around 5,000 feet and slanting it at a more pronounced angle than what a regular cargo pl- aircraft would normally would uh, when it would take off. Of course, nobody is strong enough to cling to a, a plane door at 260 <laughs> miles per hour. 260 despite, miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Despite being Tom Cruise's most extreme uh, Mission Impossible stunt, he was actually strapped to a full-body harness, which in turn was wired and bolted to the interior of the aircraft. Yeah, I would say this is probably not the most dangerous stunt he's done, as stupid as that sounds. The knife the knife in two, Mission Impossible 2 it might still be the most <laughs> risky. I, I know I know the water stunt in the first one was said to be like super dangerous. It just It doesn't like, look dangerous. Yeah. Like Actually, nowadays, like that, the water stunt in this movie looked so much more intense. Yeah, I but think scale wise, impractical. The Halo jump was not dangerous, but that's one of the biggest scale wise he's done, other than this. And then the one he's about to do in Dead Reckoning, where he drives his motorcycle off a cliff. Yeah, uh, the stunt coordinator told Simon Pegg that Tom Cruise was going to do all the driving because he didn't have a better driver. And I tried to look this up. Uh, The stunt coordinator's name is Wade Eastwood. And I tried to figure out if that meant that Tom Cruise is a better driver than than him. Uh, I couldn't find an answer to that. But that's a fun little uh, rabbit trail to go into. Tom Cruise was injured six times in in the movie. Uh, I couldn't really figure out what kind of injuries, though. I know the Pebble one, but anytime I look up Tom Cruise injuries, Mission Impossible, the one that always pops up is his broken ankle. 
Uh, well, his, his knee, Fallout. his knee definitely hits the tarmac, like the road, when he's motorcycling. <clears throat> and oh, that shot made oh, it through yeah. to the final cut. So I would say that's one of them. Yeah. Uh, so Ethan receives his new mission on a vinyl record. Uh, this is a callback to one of the first ways of receiving new missions in the original show. And the syndicate uh, was also featured in the original show. Uh, they were barely uh, mentioned in Ghost Protocol. And this is possibly the same group as the TV show since it's, it's technically kind of a continuation. It's technically in the same universe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the film directly jumps kind of from the previous film, Ghost <laughs> Protocol, uh, which ends with Ethan prepping his team to investigate the syndicate. Uh, so, kind of. <laughs> directly, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, when training for the underwater scene, Tom Cruise was able to hold his breath underwater for six minutes. Right. And so I looked that up to see, like, I mean, I'm not very athletic when it comes to swimming. So try to figure out if that's impressive or not. Um, so it looks like it is pretty much all military can hold their breath for like two or three minutes. Um, it looks like like divers, like professional divers and stuff. Um, can hold their minutes some can hold them up to like nine minutes but that's like rare um so six minutes is super insane yep uh which goes goes in line with tom cruise uh a brief see <laughs> this is a this is such a small gag a brief scene in which ilsa pauses in the middle of an action sequence to remove her high-heeled shoes was singled out in reviews for its realism, especially in light of the just-released Jurassic World movie, which was criticized <laughs> as Bryce Dallas Howard spends much of her action movie literally running in heels from dinosaurs. There was even the idea to highlight the scene in promotional materials and television spots, but Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie refused, saying that wasn't about twisting the knife. Also, about that, uh, her shoes had to be specially made uh, because, like, I guess women can't slip out of shoes, high heel shoes, that quickly. Uh, I won't know. Uh, the film's producers originally wanted Mission Impossible Gross Protocol director Brad Bird to return to helm the film, uh, but Brad declined uh, so that he would do Tomorrowland. Which was a horrible movie. Yeah, that didn't work out for him. All right, let's talk about the plot. But Christopher Quarry coming back was a perfect thing. And it almost makes yes. you want to see the Jack Reacher movies because he's great in the... I mean, Christopher Quarry is great in writing these, so... The Jack Reacher films are good. The show is better, but the movies are good, too. Yeah. The film's plot was very difficult to develop. Uh, Tom Cruise and McCory admitted that the film didn't have a script when it was into when it went into production. Amazing. It's a surprise. They just had the major action sequences planned out when they started uh, filming. For instance, the underwater high sequence was outlined from beginning to end, but what Ethan was actually stealing was unknown until they were filming <laughs> it. 
Some scenes of important exposition were written while they were being filmed. Uh, Drew Pierce was originally hired to pin the script when the film was announced in August 2013, but was replaced by Will Staples in 2014. Staples was then let go of production again uh, that August, and McCory took up writing duties while filming, with the previous scripts seemingly being largely ignored or thrown out. Production had to be halted in February 2015 so that uh, McCory and Cruz could rework the film's story and ending. It is unknown how much Pierce and Staples had written for the film or how much of their content made it into the final film. Uh, the film... Uh, okay, so this movie was uh, released in 2015. The film was completed at 2 a.m. on July 18, 2015. Less than two weeks before its release date. My goodness. Now nowadays, like, like Marvel films or something like that are are uh, like have reshoots, um, kind of before its release date. But that's like super minor. Uh, this was not. <laughs> I I would love this. Benedict Cumberbatch was the first actor considered to play a villain. I would love it if he came back in this franchise to play a villain. Yes, 100%. I don't think it'll happen, but man, he he makes a great villain. It's way too busy. Uh, the subtitle of the film *Rogue Nation* caused a small conflict between Paramount Pictures and Disney, uh, which announced its Star Wars spinoff *Rogue One*. Uh, at the same time, uh, both production companies came to an agreement in exchange for use of the title. Disney wouldn't promote or release any promotional materials of its own film until uh, Mission Impossible was released. Which that's, they were like a year apart, so that's fine. More than a year apart, even. Uh, So I looked this one up. Uh, Tom Cruise stated in an interview that the gray sort worn during uh, during the opening plane sequence is a homage to the plane sequence in North by Northwest. Uh, where Roger Thornhill wears a similar colored suit. Um, so I figured that was a very uh, small homage to, to a movie. Uh, so I looked up that scene in Northward Northwest. I've never seen that movie, so I was just watching that clip. Um, have absolutely no idea the context of that scene. Uh, but uh, the, the character um, is just kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, he gets... Uh, there's a plane that comes really close to hitting him. Um, he gets crop dusted on. Uh, I've seen that scene. And, uh, yeah, it's actually a really interesting scene, but without context, it's kind of weird. Um, but, uh, that scene was very monumental for filmmaking, uh, because that, uh, I think it was Hitchcock filmed the plane scene and then, oh, for, for one thing, it's one of the, the longest film sequences at that time. But he filmed that plane scene and then had... Uh, they, like, a, filmed it over each other, grant. right? Yeah, yeah. It was, so he had that screen set up, and then the actor for Roger Thornhill acted in front of that screen. And it was, like, the first time anyone had done any, any type of acting like that. Uh so, yeah, I figured that was a cool little homage. Uh, Tom Cruise was attached to star as Napoleon Solo in The Man from U.N.C.L.E. 
uh, but dropped out in order to do this film. Uh, Cruz's replacement, Henry Cavill, would later work with Cruz in, in Fallout. So I don't know. I fans of Man from Uncle. Yes, I've heard other stories that uh, George Clooney was attached to Star before Henry Cavill. So maybe maybe there was three people, but I don't know if it was Tom Cruise. But it's fine. I, so I feel like if Tom Cruise was in that movie, we would view that movie as part of the same franchise as uh, as we would Night and Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Night and Day. Well, Night and Day is Mission Impossible 3 and a half. Yes. As we've said. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean... It's no surprise that Tom Cruise is a vampire or has the uh, elixir of life or something. Tom Cruise is only five years younger in this film than John Voight was in the first Mission Impossible film. And he has great <laughs> Which was in, in 1996. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's wild. Uh, so... This trivia is a little outdated, so we'll update it a little bit. This is the fourth Tom Cruise film written and or directed by uh, Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, the first three were Valkyrie, John, Jack Reacher, and Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, I know Christopher McQuarrie also worked on Fallout and both of the Dead Reckonings. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be at least seven. I don't know if he did Jack Reacher too, but it yeah, was between this and Fallout. So, and uh, this is the first Mission Impossible film not to feature the jump and hang scene made famous in uh, Mission Impossible, the first one. Ethan Hunt would do this in Mission Impossible 2 and uh, Mission Impossible 3, while Brant would perform this near the end of Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Uh, Chris McQuarrie did not do Jack Reacher 2. Okay. Oh, but I, I think he also worked on Top Gun. Or maybe Top Gun. No. Maverick. He didn't write it, though. Oh, okay. Maybe a producer. Yeah, probably. Uh, according to Greg Morris, uh, who portrayed Barney in the original Mission Impossible series, mostly all of the gadgets actually worked in the original series, except the masks. Now, most of the gadgets are purely fiction, and the masks are closer to reality. So, love science fiction stuff. Uh, the first film in the franchise where Ethan Hunt and the primary antagonist share no physical contact whatsoever. I love that. They're, so, uh, they're just one's trapped in a box, and the other's pointing a gun at him. Uh... In the original script, Ethan Hunt was supposed to hold his breath for four minutes. Uh, Cruz trained for the stunt and realized he could hold it up to six minutes. So McCory decided to make the scene even longer. Jeez, uh, Tom Cruise is just not human. He, he's just practicing for four minutes and he's like, wait, uh, just did it for I six know, minutes. <laughs> I know this is not the topic of this episode. So Chris McCory was... Uh, was listed as writer on Top Gun Maverick, but also uh, there are at least five writers on this movie, <laughs> and none of them are the director. 
So two people got writing credits that. for the characters from Top Gun 1, but I don't think they worked on this movie. And then Peter Craig, Justin Marks, Aaron, Aaron Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie are all listed as writers on Top Gun Maverick. Jeez. <laughs> yes. Anyway. I don't actually know if uh, John Krasinski writes. He might just be a director. You're kidding. This is ridiculous. Christopher McQuarrie also was a writer on The Mummy 2017. Ouch. Yep. Ouch that, indeed. That didn't help either of their careers. <laughs> nope. Uh, and then, uh, so we we mentioned this at the very beginning of this episode. Uh, me and Cole love The Rabbit's Foot. What is The Rabbit's Foot? We didn't know until this movie. Spencer, uh, in I'm not Cole. the first scene, I'm so sorry. Wow, what a weird uh, thing. Cole hates these Weird movies. mistake. In yes. the first scene with Ilsa, the key to Ethan's restraints is attached to a lucky rabbit's foot keychain. Uh, this is hopefully an Easter egg for Mission Impossible 3. Um, rabbit's foot was the codename for a biological weapon sought after by the film's villain. Uh, turns out just be a keychain. And uh, that's the trivia for today. I hope That's you didn't get uh, lost and become a rogue during that little sequence. Very nice. Fake your death. Um, we've been talking for a long time, but thank you for listening. If you're still here, we'll be back later. Um, I think next on the podcast is a little Wolverine trip, but we are going to come back to do six. And Spencer's going to be sad because Jeremy Renner doesn't come back for that one. But thank you so much for listening. Uh, and we'll see you next week.